Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, bit of a scary transition. We're not heading into a horror movie, fear not. But there was some scary stuff that happened about 120 years ago or so on the East River in Manhattan. We're talking about the General Slocum disaster. And if you weren't here for the last couple of weeks, we don't have time to recount the whole narrative. The short version is this. In 1904, there was a large population of German people living in what we now call um, the East Village. Back then, it was Kleindeutschland, Little Germany. And there was a church in the middle of this neighborhood called St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church. And they had an annual Sunday school outing that had grown to become a community-wide event. Everybody needed a way to kind of escape the summer heat. So when St. Mark's leased the General Slocum, a paddle wheel steamer, for a day on the beach, 1,300 people came out uh, to be a part of it. 1,300 people may sound like an inordinately large number of people to put on a ship, but the General Slocum was huge. The Slocum could carry up to 2,500. It wasn't that, that crazy uh, a number. Still... That's 1,300 souls. Now, there's a lot we don't know about how the fire started, but what we do know is a couple of hours later, after they left the pier on East 3rd Street, more than 1,000 people were dead. 1,000. Just for perspective, something like 1,500 died in the wreck of the Titanic. Two-thirds as many people as died in the Titanic died in this one disaster in the East River in June. It boggles the mind, and it slipped back from the pages of our consciousness, and now it's buried in the pages of history. People, many of you keep coming up to me and going, how could we not have heard of this? And probably the reason is, it's because nobody made a movie out of it yet. That's why nobody's heard of it, right? So, and so I, I predict that someday someone will, uh, but here's, here's basically what, what went down. A fire breaks out aboard the General Slocum. And even though everything had been inspected, all the fire safety equipment had been inspected just a month before, everything failed. The hoses burst. The canvas hoses they were using just burst. They were useless. The lifeboats were painted to the deck and immobile. The life jackets that they put on were no longer filled with cork. They were filled with cork dust. The cork having just disintegrated from 13 years of exposure. And we later found that many of the life vests were laced with scrap metal and rebar because the company that made the life jackets needed to bring the cork up to a certain weight. It was a perfect storm of terrible events that happened. Still, the question remains, how could a thousand people die in the East River in June? Like, couldn't they just float? Like, wh wh what could have gone on? And that question, that's a question I was asking, it's a question I, was, I looked into deeply, and it comes from a place, to be truthful, it comes from a place of privilege. I grew up knowing how to swim, and so did many of you. I grew up in Staten Island with a nice, lovely, little, you know, working class, like middle class house. My parents were able to scrape together enough, enough money to put up an above the ground, you know, little flimsy little above the ground swimming pools, yeah? And it didn't matter what, what time of year it was. It didn't matter how hot the sun was. It didn't matter how hot the summer was. That pool was always freezing. I mean, it was, oh, you, you ever been in a pool like that? 
Just doesn't matter. It's just bone-chillingly cold, all, and we didn't care. It didn't Now, I'm not going to go in the water if it's super cold. When you, but when I was a kid, man, me and my brother, it was like knees knocking, teeth chattering, lips purple. We didn't care. We were in there, baby. But I grew up knowing how to swim and knowing how to tread water and knowing how to float. I am helped by the fact that fat floats, but that's besides the point. Uh, so... Uh, that is a place of privilege, right? To be able to, to know how to swim. There are people in this room that don't know how to swim. But if you don't know how to swim, it's probably because you've chosen to not learn that. You, you, you don't want that opportunity or just don't like the water, and so you're happy to just, you know, stick your feet in the pool. Like, that's enough, right? But if you were alive in 1904 and you lived on the Lower East Side in Manhattan, there was no swimming pool you had access to. And you, didn't, you weren't just going to just jump on a, a, in a car and go to the beach for, for, for the weekend. You don't want to learn to swim in the ocean. The, these, these luxuries were not available to them. So to, to these people, understand this, the water was a terrifying place. For you and me, it would have been, oh, I'm just going to jump over and tread water. I'll figure it out. That's not the way these people thought of the water. St Feeding into this issue is the fact that most of the people on the General Slocum were women and children. The men in, in 1904 mostly didn't have jobs that would allow for a day off. So most of the, most of the, 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 the passengers were women and children. And the women were not dressed the way you would dress for a day at the beach. There were no tank tops. No spaghetti straps were in view. There were no Daisy Dukes aboard the General Slocum. The flip-flop had not yet been invented. The women were dressed like this. Now this, in fairness, was from a fashion magazine in the fall of 1904. So in spring, this woman would have been dressed in a different color, but probably not much less material. In, even in, in, in the summer, these women had on uh, Shoes that basically were like boots. They would all have been wearing stockings. They all would have been wearing like a multi-layered, uh, very ornate dress. And that's just, it may, that sounds crazy to you. It sounds crazy to me. The world has changed a lot in 120 years. Yes? Like, you know, the world has changed a lot in like 20 years. Any of you guys, parents in the room, have any of you tried to explain to your children that it used to be that when you wanted to get on the internet, your computer had to make a phone call. Anybody remember those days? Like you're, you had to plug a phone line into your computer. Yeah, you get on the internet, you had to make a phone call. Like you, you ever have your kids look back at you and go, are you kidding me? You were alive when dinosaurs roamed the earth. That's crazy. That's 20 years ago, man. So like it's, the world has changed a lot in 120 years. It sounds crazy that a person would dress like that in summer, but that's just how things were. So, when the fire broke out, and the fire hoses failed, and the lifeboats were painted to the deck, and the life preservers proved themselves to be deadly, it came down to panic. Panic. And it was awful. How did a thousand people drown in the East River in June? They were in a deadly environment, made worse by their own choices and by the society they lived in, and they were all being pulled down by everyone else around them.
When a person is drowning, there's no thought to the well-being of anyone near them. You just reach out for anything that can lend you a little buoyancy. And if it means pulling somebody else down in the process, it's not a conscious decision. It's not a, uh, I'm going to do this to this person. It's, I need air, and I have to have it now, or I'm going to die. So the, the, the scrambling, clawing, grasping, like, the accounts of what happened were terrible. So today, we come to a really important question. In your life, what is dragging you down? What's dragging you down in your life? It is the environment. It is our own choices. And it is sometimes the people around us. Let's talk about our environment for a minute. And I'm not talking about the air. I'm talking about the culture we live in. It's pretty toxic, yeah? Yeah, and it's getting worse. I have observed personally uh, some stuff that kind of goes along with what uh, sociologists and scientists have been observing. There has been a dramatic spike in anxiety and depression among the general population over the last couple of years, particularly among adolescents, among young people. Dramat I mean, it's like a, the growth curve looks like a hockey stick. There was a baseline and all of a sudden it just went like this coincident with that, with that growth curve, coincident with that hockey stick growth curve, came the advent of the smartphone. Baseline, 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 just like this. The overlay is perfectly symmetrical. It's not a coincidence. This is science. Cell phone use is doing something to us. In particular, social media use is doing something to us, and it ain't good. It's taking something from you. Some of you are making choices that are weighing you down, and I'm here to tell you, every time you interact with a social media platform, it takes more than it gives. Every single time you interact with a social media platform, it takes more than it gives. It puts a little more of a strain on your system. It pulls you down just a little bit more. And I know, like some of you, I'm just going to get up in your mug now, some of you are addicted. Like some of you, you this is you, you are a, this is, you're not a kid, you're a grown man or a grown woman in your bed at one o'clock in the morning watching your 800th TikTok video. <laughs> Am I up in your mug yet? Like this is, this is, that's not normal behavior for an adult. And this is, and guys, this, this, this is sucking the life out of you. This is sucking the life right out of you. And, and heaven help you if you're a kid, if you're a teenager, if you're adolescent, you almost don't stand a chance. This, this, the world that, that exists now, this environment, you, it can drown you. It can drown you. you. You put something out there, you throw something out into the ether. It goes out onto a social media platform. And now you look at what you've posted and you compare your notes, with, you compare your life with everybody else's highlight reel. 
and you float something out there and now you wait for affirmation, you wait for likes, you wait for somebody to tell you that what you posted was good and you wait for interaction and if that interaction doesn't come or doesn't come in comparable numbers to that of your friends, it, it's soul crushing. This environment is toxic. For some of us, for some of us, it's the choices we're making. For some of us, and here, I'm just, I'm just going to be your pastor for a minute. For some of us, it's the sin in our lives. For some of us, there's just some sin in your life. And it's, it's pulling you down. It's sucking the life out of you. It's dragging you to the bottom. And you know it. Now, a lot of times, so let's, let's unpack that for a minute, you know, Oh, sin, you know, is that the thing that the pastors are always supposed to say? You'd be surprised. A lot of pastors don't want to talk about this topic anymore. And usually in church, when somebody brings up sin in church, usually what comes to mind immediately is like sexual sin. And that may be part of the issue, but not necessarily. Did you know that all sin has its root in inward-bound behavior? All sin has its root in selfish inward-bound behavior. All sin is about me first. All sin is about what I can get and what I can have and the, the fact that I want it now. Anybody here remember Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? I'm talking about the original one, not that mess with Johnny Depp. <laughs> I love Tim Burton, but don't watch that. Anyway, the original one. Remember Veruca Salt? but I want it now, daddy. Remember that kid? Yeah, we all have a little bit of that in us. But I want it now. And I don't care about the consequences, and I don't care what, what comes of it, and I don't care who gets hurt, and it doesn't matter as long as I can have it now, whatever it may be. Some of you are making choices, and, and it's dragging you down, and what you need to start doing is stripping some of that off and clinging to something a bit more buoyant, might I suggest the love of your heavenly father as a superior flotation device? Isaiah chapter 43 says this. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Interesting passage. It mentions rivers and drowning and fire. But it's poignant if, if you take my meaning. God is telling us, I'm going to go with you through life's difficulties. I'm going to go with you through the trial. I'm going to be with you when things go sideways. But you've got to cling to me. You take on too much sometimes. The sin in your life pulls you down. The environment you've immersed yourself in pulls you down. And yes, sometimes other people pull you down. Anybody here ever been pulled down by another person? I don't, I'm not talking about physically, but I mean just some of you here, you've got somebody in your, okay, this, this, uh, 
These next few paragraphs require a bit of nuanced thinking. Because we're called to help each other, are we not? We're to honor God, love others, serve all. Serve all means you put somebody else's needs ahead of yours. To serve means you put somebody else first and you try to help others. That's baked into the thing. But some of you guys have somebody in your life who's become a bottomless pit of need and is taking and taking and taking incessantly in such a way that it's sucking the life right out of you. And you might need to look in the mirror and address your need to be needed. You're not that person's savior. What you might need to do with that person is draw some boundaries. Because a drowning person doesn't care about your well-being. A drowning person isn't thinking about how they can help you. A drowning person is just clawing and scraping and scratching their way to the top. They're just trying to find a way. And it's not just, okay, I want to be superior. It's I need to breathe. And if I can sense some buoyancy on you, if I sense that you know how to swim, I'm going to find a way to get to you so I can get some help. It's not a conscious choice. It's just how a drowning person operates and most people are drowning right now so you got to be careful with this yes you offer help of course you, 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 you do what you can but you know what you can and what you can't do anyone who's been on an airplane has heard the spiel right if there's a loss in cabin pressure oxygen masks are going to fall from the ceiling secure your own before you try to help someone else that has to be a thing for us. We've got to find a way to maintain buoyancy. Otherwise, we'll become people like, if your life is in crisis, if you're unsure of who you are, if you've got sin that's dragging you down, if you've got abuse in your past that's dragging you down, if you've got people you need to forgive that you haven't forgiven, it's going to drag you down. There's like, I could rattle off a dozen different things that, are, that, are, that will pull you to the bottom. If you're not rooted on God's great love for you, if you don't have a place to stand, these other things will pull you down. And it's up to you. You have something to say about this. You get to decide where the boundaries are. And some of you, you got some people in your life, they may just need to hear, hey, this far and no further. We're going to set up a boundary here. I can help you this much, but I'm not your savior. Jesus is your savior. I'm here to help, but I can't get pulled down with you. So, so, The choices you make on this front can affect your ability to breathe. That's hard to reconcile because you've been taught, hey, we got to help. We're going to live out. We're bound. We're going to help, 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 help. Here's the deal. If, you're, if your feet are planted on God's great love for you, if your story begins with God loves me, I am God's beloved son or beloved daughter, my sins have been forgiven, I'm going to heaven someday, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to do good in this world, you have a place to stand. You have a purpose for your life. you got a reason to operate, and you, from that platform, can walk into any encounter and be life-giving. But if you're drowning... You walk into any encounter and you suck the life out of the room without even knowing it. There are people, and come on, you, you can think of somebody immediately, right? If you're drowning, every interaction you have is an effort to find buoyancy. If you're drowning, 
Every time you interact with a coworker, every time you have a meal with a family member, every time you connect with a loved one, every time you talk to a friend, any time you talk to or interact with anybody, something in you is crying out, affirm me, validate me, give me what I need, help me find some buoyancy, help me survive. That's your operating system. It's what's going on in the background for you. But if your feet are planted on something firm, you can walk into, imagine this, you can walk into every encounter, every meal with a loved one, every interaction with a coworker, every, every minute you get to spend with a friend, and you're, now your operating system is, how can I be a blessing to your life? How can, how can I help you find some buoyancy? How can I lift you up? And you want to know something crazy? This is where it stops making sense. When you do that, it costs you nothing to help another person up. You yourself are lifted in the process. It costs a candle nothing to light another candle. It costs the candle nothing. But too many candles come in and too much strain is put upon it and the wick will be snuffed out. You have choices to make. Where are you standing? One of the most chilling things that I, I came across in, in my research on this, on this disaster were the multiple reports, multiple independent reports of people drowning in water shallow enough to stand in. Because they just couldn't stop panicking because there was so much weighing them down and so many people clawing at them they drowned in shallow water some of you are right there you're drowning but you have a place to stand you could put your feet down if you could just catch a breath and think a little bit about what you're living your life for you could put your feet on the rock that God loves you today, that you are his beloved son or daughter. You can stand up firm knowing that he has forgiven you for your sins and now live the rest of your life responding to that great love, honoring him and loving the world around you and serving those who are near you. You render them more buoyant, and you yourself are rendered more buoyant in the process. It doesn't make sense. It should be that to lift another up, up I must be lessened. It, it, it doesn't make sense that a candle should be able to light another candle and have it not cost anything. That flame surely should be lessened because now there's another flame glowing. It doesn't work like that. God's light doesn't work like that. God's love doesn't work like that. God's love is beyond our description. It's beyond our understanding. And, it, and when it starts to flow out of you, it's the craziest thing in the world because now you're not living for yourself. That Veruca Salt stuff has been kicked to the curb and it's not I want it now and it's not me, me, me and what can I have and how can I be validated and I think my new career in life is going to be to be an influencer. <laughs> oh heaven help us. You now don't need anybody to validate you. Now you, you get to be God's light in the world. You're the candle taking God's light, the light of Jesus Christ. God uses you to light the wick for another person. God uses you to help another person to their feet. And not only are you not lessened in the process, your flame grows a little brighter. You are somehow rendered more buoyant. 
It doesn't make sense, but it works. It's the truth. And it begins with you standing on the knowledge that God loves you and stripping off everything that weighs you down. One last verse as we close up. This is Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Amen. We keep our eyes on him. We run the race that God set for us. We play the part that God gave us to play. We start by putting our feet on his great love for us. And we get to, we don't have to, we get to play a part in lifting up everybody around us. You will never regret that kind of a life. You'll never, you want to kick anxiety and depression to the curb? Start serving people. Start helping people. Get your eyes on him and watch what happens as all ships rise. We're going to pause here today and pick it up right from here for part four next Sunday. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful grateful that we get to play a part in your amazing story, that we can put our feet on solid ground, this sure and certain knowledge that you love us, that you receive us, that you forgive us for our sins, and that we have eternal life in you. Now, Father, standing there, help us to lend a hand to those around us, to help, to render others more buoyant, and to be rendered more buoyant ourselves somehow in the process. We know that doesn't work except when you get involved. And we're so glad you're involved. Help us stand where we need to stand and make the decisions we need to make to strip off all the weight and all the things that tie us up that we might be truly yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word truenorth to 77977 on your cell phone, and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.